the eldest lady's tale. Verily a strange tale is mine, and tis this. Yon two black bitches are my eldest sisters, by one mother and father, and these two others, she who beareth upon her the signs and stripes, and the third, a procuratrix, are my sisters by another mother. When my father died, each took her share of the heritage, and after a while my mother was also deceased, leaving me and my sister Germain three thousand dinners. So each daughter received her portion of a thousand dinners, and I the same, albeit the youngest. In due course of time, my sisters married with the usual festivities, and lived with their husbands, who bought merchandise with their wives' monies, and set out to travel together. Thus they threw me off. My brothers-in-law were absent with their wives five years, during which period they spent all the money they had, and, becoming bankrupt, deserted my sisters in foreign parts amid strange folk. After five years my eldest sister returned to me in beggar's gear, with her clothes in rags and tatters and dirty old mantilla, and truly she was in the foulest and sorriest plight. At first sight I did not know my own sister, but presently I recognized her and said, What state is this? Oh, her sister, words cannot undo the done, and the read of destiny hath run through what all it agreed. Then I sent her to the bath, and dressed her in a suit of my own, and boiled for her a bouillon, and bought her some good wine, and said to her, O oh, my sister, thou art the oldest, who still standeth to us in the stead of father and mother. And as for the inheritance which came to me as your twain, Allah has blessed it and prospered it to me with increase. And my circumstances are easy, for I have made much money by spinning and cleaning silk, and I and you will share my wealth alike. I entreated her with all kindness, and she abode with me a whole year during which our thoughts and fancies were always full of our other sister. Shortly after, she too came home in yet a fouler and sorrier plight than that of my older sister, and I dealt with her still more honorably than I had done by the first, and each of them had a share of my substance. After a time, they said to me, Oh, oh our, our sister, sister we, we desire to marry again. again. For, For indeed we have, we have no patience to drag on our days on our without and to lead the lives of widows bewitched. And I replied, O eyes of me, ye have hitherto seek scanty weal in wedlock. For nowadays good men and true are becoming rarities and curiosities. Nor do I deem your projects advisable, as ye have already made a trial of matrimony and have failed. But they would not accept my advice, and married without my consent. Nevertheless, I gave them outfit and dowries out of my own money, and they fared forth with their mates. In a mighty little time, their husbands played them false, and taking whatever they could lay hands upon, levanted and left them in the lurch. Thereupon they came to me ashamed, and in abject case, and made their excuses to me, saying, Pardon our fault, and be not wroth with us. For although thou art younger than you, yes, art thou older than me, and we will never mention it to you. So take us back as back as back as thy handmaid is better than we may eat our mouth. Worth I, welcome to you, O my sisters. There is not dearer to me than you, 
and I took them in and redoubled my kindness to them. We ceased not to live after this loving fashion for a full year, when I resolved to sell my wares abroad and first to fit me a conveyance for Basora. So I equipped a large ship and loaded her with merchandise and valuable goods for traffic, and with provant and all needful for a voyage, and said to my sisters, Will ye abide at home while I travel, or would ye prefer to accompany me on the voyage? We will, we will travel, travel with thee, for we cannot bear to be parted from thee. So I divided my money into two parts, one to accompany me and the other to be left in charge of a trusty person. For as I said to myself, happily some accident may happen to the ship, and yet we remain alive, in which case we shall find on our return what may stand us in good stead. I took my two sisters and we went voyaging some days and nights, but the master was careless enough to miss his course, and the ship went astray with us, and entered a sea other than the sea we sought. For a time we knew not of this, and the wind blew fair for us ten days, after which the lookout man went aloft to see about him, and cried, Good news! I have seen what seems to be a city, as twere a pigeon. Hereat we rejoice, and ere an hour of the day had passed, the building showed in plain in the offing, and we asked the captain, What, what is, is the, the name, name of yonder city? city? And he answered, By Allah, I want not, for I never saw it before, and never sailed these seas in my life. But since our troubles have ended in safety, it remains for you only to land there with your merchandise, and, if you find selling profitable, sell and make your market of what is there. And if not, we will rest here two days and provision ourselves, and fare away. So we entered the port, and the captain went up the town and was absent a while, after which he returned to us instead. Arise! Go up into the city and marvel at the works of Allah with his creatures, and pray to be preserved from his righteous wrath. So we landed, and going up into the city, saw at the gate men heading staves in hand. But when we drew near them, behold, they had been by the anger of Allah, and had become stones. Then we entered the city, and found all who therein wand into black stones as stoned. Not an inhabitant house appeared to the aspire, nor was there a blower of fire. We were awestruck at the sight, and threaded the market streets, where we found goods and gold and silver left lying in their places. And we were glad, and said, Doubtless there is some mystery in all this. Then we dispersed about the thoroughfares, and each busied himself with collecting the wealth and money and rich stuffs, taking scanty heed of friend or comrade. As for myself, I went up to the castle, which was strongly fortified, and entered the king's palace by its gate of red gold, found all the vassila of gold and silver, and the king himself seated in the midst of his chamberlains and nababs and emirs and wazirs, all clad in raiment which confounded men's art. I drew nearer and saw him sitting on a throne encrusted and inlaid with pearls and gems, and his robes were gold cloth adorned with jewels of every kind, each one flashing like a star. Around him stood fifty Mamelukes, white slaves clothed in silks of diverse sorts, holding their drawn swords in their hands. But when I drew near to them, lo, all were black stones. My understanding was confounded at the sight, but I walked on and entered the great hall of the Harim, whose walls I found hung with tapestries of golden striped silk 
and spread with silken carpets embroidered with golden cowers. Here I saw the queen lying at full length, arrayed in robes purfled with fresh young pearls, and on her head was a diadem set with many sorts of gems, each fit for a ring, and around her neck hung collars and necklaces. All her raiment and her ornaments were in natural state, but she had been turned into a black stone by Allah's wrath. Presently, I espied an open door for which I made straight, and found leading to it a flight of seven steps. So I walked up and came upon a place, pagretted with marble and spread and hung with gold-worked carpets and tapestry, amid most of which stood a throne of juniper wood inlaid with pearls and precious stones, and set with bosses of emeralds. In the further wall was an alcove, whose curtains be strong with pearls were let down, and I saw a light issuing therefrom. So I drew near and perceived that the light came from a precious stone, as big as an ostrich egg, set at the upper end of the alcove under a chrysalithine couch of ivory and gold. And this jewel, blazing like the sun, cast its rays wide inside. The couch also was spread with all manner of silken stuffs, amazing the gazer with their richness and beauty. I marveled much at this, especially when seeing in that place candles ready lighted, and I said in my mind, Needs must someone have lighted these candles. Then I went forth and came to the kitchen, and thence to the buttery and the king's treasure chambers, and continued to explore the palace and to pace from place to place. I forgot myself in my awe and marvel at these matters, and I was drowned in thought till the night came on. Then I would have gone forth, but knowing not the gate, I lost my way. So I returned to the alcove whither the lighted candles directed me, and sat down upon the couch. And wrapping myself in a coverlet, after I had repeated somewhat from the Quran, I would have slept but could not, for restlessness possessed me. When night was at its noon, I heard a voice chanting the Quran in sweetest accents, but the tone thereof was weak. So I rose, glad to hear the silence broken, and followed the sound until I reached a closet, whose door stood ajar. Then, peeping through a chink, I considered the place, and lo, it was an oratory wherein a prayer niche with two wax candles burning and lamps hanging from the ceiling. In it, too, was spread a prayer carpet, whereupon sat a youth fair to see, and before him on its stand was a copy of the Quran, from which he was reading. I marveled to see him alone and alive amongst the people of the city, and entering saluted him, whereupon he raised his eyes and returned my salam. Salam. Quoth I, Now by the truth of what thou readest in Allah's holy book, I conjure thee to answer my question. He looked upon me with a smile and said, Oh, handmaid of Allah, first, tell me the cause of thy coming hither, and I in turn will tell what hath befallen both me and the people of this city, and what was my reason for escaping their doom. So I told him my story, whereat he wondered, and I questioned him of the people of the city, when he replied, Have patience with me for a while. Oh, my sister. And, reverently closing the holy book, he laid it up in a satin bag. Then he seated me by his side, and I looked at him, and behold, he was as the moon at its full, 
fair of face and rare of form, soft-sided and slight, of well-proportioned height, and cheeks smoothly bright and diffusing light. In brief, a sweet, a sugar-stick, even as saith the poet of the like of him in these couplets. That night the astrologer a scheme of planets drew, and lo, a graceful shape of youth appeared in view. Saturn has stained his locks with Saturninus jet, and spots of nut-brown musk on rosy side-face blue. Mars tinctured either cheek with tint of martial red, Sagittal shots from eyelids Sagittarius threw, dowered him Mercury with bright mercurial bit, bore off the bear, but all man's evil glances grew. Amazed stood Astrophil to sight the marble bird, when louted low the moon at full to bust the earth. And of a truth, Allah the Most High had robed him in the raiment of perfect grace, and he had purfled and fringed it with a cheek all beauty and loveliness, even as the poet saith of such a one. By his eyelids shedding perfume, and his fine slim face I swear, by the shooting of his shaft, barbed with sorcery passing rare, by the softness of his side, and glances lingering light, and brow of dazzling daytide ray, and night within his hair, by his eyebrows which the night who look upon them rest, now bidding, now forbidding, ever dealing joy and care, by the rose that decks his cheek, and the myrtle of its moss, by Jason's bedded in his lips, and paired his smile lays bare, by his graceful bending neck, and the curving of his breast, whose polished surface buried those granados' lovely pair, by his heavy hips that quiver as he passeth in his pride, or he resteth with that waist which is slim beyond compare, by the satin of his skin, by that fine unsullied sprite, by the beauty that containeth all things bright and debonair, by that ever open hand, by the candor of his tongue, by noble blood and high degree, whereof his hope and heir. Musk from him borrows muskiness, she loveth to exhale, and all the airs of ambergris through him perfume the air. The sun, methinks the broad bright sun, before my love would pale, and suns his splendor would appear, a pairing of his nail. I glanced at him with one glance of eyes, which caused me a thousand sighs, and my heart was at once taken captive wise. So I asked him, O oh, my lord and my love, tell me that whereof I question thee. And he answered, Hearing is obeying. Know, O handmaid of Allah, that the city was the capital of my father, who was the king thou sawest on the throne, transfigured by Allah's wrath to black stone. And the queen thou foundest in the alcove is my mother. They and all the people of the city were my shans, whose fire adored in the loo of the omnipotent lord, and were wont to swear by low and heat, and shade, and light, and the spheres revolving day and night. My father had ne'er a son till he was blessed with me near the end of his days. 
and he reared me until I grew up and prosperity anticipated me in all things. Now it is so foredoomed that there was with us an old woman, well stricken in years, a Muslimah, who inwardly believing in Allah and his apostle, conformed outwardly with the religion of my people. And my father placed thorough confidence in her, for that he knew her to be trustworthy and virtuous, and he treated her with ever-increasing kindness, believing her to be of his own belief. So when I was well nigh grown up, my father committed me to her charge, saying, Take him and educate him, and teach him the rules of our faith. Let him have the best instructions, and cease not thy foster care. So she took me and taught me the tenets of Al-Islam with the divine ordinance of the wuzu ablution and the five daily prayers and she made me learn the Quran by Rur, often repeating Serve none, save Allah Almighty When I had mastered this much knowledge, she said to me Oh my son, keep this matter concealed from thy sire and reveal not to him lest he slay thee so I hid it from him, and I abode on this wise for a term of days, when the old woman died, and the people of the city redoubled in their impiety and arrogance and the error in their ways. One day, while they were as wont, behold, they heard a loud and terrible sound, and a crier crying out with a voice like roaring thunder, so every ear could hear far and near. O folk of this city, leave ye your fire worshipping, and adore Allah for all the passions gain. At this, fear and terror fell upon the citizens, and they crowded to my father, he being the king of the city, and asked him, What is what this awesome voice we have heard? We have heard it hath confounded us, confound us with the excess of, of a terror. terror. And he answered, let not a voice fright you, nor shake your steadfast fright, nor turn you back from the faith which is right. Their hearts inclined to his words, and they ceased not to worship the fire, and they persisted in rebellion for a full year from the time they heard the first voice. And on the anniversary came a second cry, and a third at the head of the third year. Each year, once, still, they persisted in their malpractices, till one day of break of dawn, judgment, and the wrath of heaven descended upon them with all suddenness, and by the visitation of Allah, all were metamorphosed into black stones, they and their beasts and their cattle, and none was saved, save myself who at the time was engaged in my devotion. From that day to this, I am in the case thou seest, constant in prayer and fasting, and reading and reciting the Quran. But I am indeed grown weary, by reasons of my loneliness, having none to bear my company. Then I said to him, for in very sooth he had won my heart and was the lord of my life and my soul. O youth, wilt thou fare with me to Baghdad city, and visit the ulema, and men learned in the law, and doctors of divinity, and get the increase of wisdom and understanding and theology? And know that she who standeth in thy presence will be thy handmaid, 
Albeit she be head of her family and mistress over men, and eunuchs and servants and slaves. Indeed, my life was no life before it fell in with thy youth. I have here a ship laden with merchandise, and in very truth, destiny drove me to this city, that I might come to the knowledge of these matters. For it was fated that we should meet, and I cease not to persuade him and speak him fair, and use every art till he consented. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the eighteenth night, she continued, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the lady ceased not persuading with soft speech the youth to depart with her, till he consented and said, Yes. She slept that night lying at his feet, and hardly knowing where she was for excessive joy. As soon as the next morning dawned, she pursued, addressing the caliph. As soon as the next morning dawned, I arose and we entered the treasuries, and took thence whatever was light in weight and great in worth. Then we went down side by side from the castle to the city, where we met by the captain and my sisters and slaves who had been seeking for me. When they saw me, they rejoiced and asked what had stayed me, and I told them all of what I had seen, and relented to them the story of the young prince and the transformation wherein the citizens had been justly visited. Hereat all marvel, but when my two sisters, these two bitches, O commander of the faithful, saw me by the side of my young lover, they jaloused me on his account, and were wroth and plotted mischief against me. We awaited a fair wind and went on board rejoicing and ready to fly for joy by reasons of the goods we had gotten. But my own greatest joyance was in the youth, and we waited a while until the wind blew fair for us, and we set sail and fared forth. Now as we sat talking, my sisters asked me, And, and what wilt thou do with this handsome young man? And I answered, I purpose to make him my husband. Then I turned to him and said, O oh my lord, I have that to propose to thee wherein thou must not cross me, and that this is when we reach Baghdad, my native city. I offer thee my life as thy handmaid in holy matrimony, and thou shalt be to me barren, and I will be femme to thee. I hear and I obey. Thou art my lady and my mistress, and whatso thou doest, I will not gainsay. Then I turned to my sisters and said, This is my gain. I content me with this youth, and those who have gotten aught of my property, let them keep it as their gain with my good will. Thou sayest in ghost Answered the twain, but they imagined mischief against me. We ceased not spooning before a fair wind, till we had exchanged the sea of peril for the seas of safety, and in a few days, we made Basara city, where the buildings loomed clear before us as evening fell. But after we had retired to rest, and were sound asleep, my two sisters arose and took me up, bed in all, and threw me into the sea. They did the same with the young prince, who, as he could not swim, sank and was drowned, and Allah enrolled him in the noble army of the martyrs. As for me, with heaven I had been drowned with him, but Allah deemed that I should be of the saved. So when I awoke and found myself in the sea, and saw the ship making off like a dash of lightning, 
he threw in my way a piece of timber which I bestrided, and the waves tossed me to and fro till they cast me upon an island coast, a high land and uninhabited. I landed and walked about the island the rest of the night, and when morning dawned, I saw a rough track barely fit for a child of Adam to tread, and leading to what proved a shallow ford connecting an island and mainland. As soon as the sun had arisen, I spread my garments to dry in its rays, and ate of the fruits of the island and drank of its waters. Then I set out along the foot track and ceased not walking till I reached the mainland. Now, when there remained between me and the city but two hours' journey, behold a great serpent, the bigness of a date palm, came fleeing towards me in all haste, gliding along now to the right and then to the left till she was close upon me, whilst her tongue lulled ground wards a span long and swept the dust as she went. She was pursued by a dragon who was not longer than two lances, and of slender build about the bulk of a spear, and, although her terror lent her speed, and she kept wiggling from side to side, he overtook her and seized her by the tail, whereat her tears streamed down and her tongue was thrust out in agony. I took pity on her, and picking up a stone and calling upon Allah for aid, threw it at the dragon's head with such force that he died then and there, and the serpent opening a pair of wings into the lift and disappeared before my eyes. I sat down marveling over that adventure, but I was weary, and drowsiness overcoming me, I slept where I was for a while. When I awoke, I found a jet-black damsel sitting at my feet shampooing them, and by her side stood two black bitches, my sisters, O commander of the faithful. I was ashamed before her, and sitting up asked, Oh, my sister, and what art thou? And she answered, How soon hast thou forgotten me? I am she for whom thou wroughtest a good deed, and sowedest the seed of gratitude and slowest fall. For I am the serpent whom by Allah's aid thou didst just now deliver from the dread. I am a genius. And he was a genuine beauty, and none saved my life from him, save God. As soon as thou freedest me from him, I do all the willing to ship whence thy sisters through thee, and all that was there to thy Then I ordered my attendant Marines to sink the ship, and I transformed thy two sisters into these black. Beaches, for I know all that hath passed between them and thee. <sighs> but as for the youth, of a truth, he is drowned. So saying, she drew up with me and the beaches, and presently set us down on the terrace roof of my house, wherein I found ready stored the whole of what property was in my ship, nor was aught of it missing. Continued the serpent that was, now, I swear by all the braver on the sealing of Solomon, with whom be peace, unless thou deal to each of these bitches three hundred stripes every day, I will come in prison forever. I answered, 
hearkening and obedience. And away she do. But before going, she again charged me, saying, I again swear by you, who made the two seas flow, and this be my second oath. If thou gain so, I will come and transform thee like thy sisters. Since then, I have never failed, O commander of the faithful, to beat them with the number of blows till their blood flows with my tears. I pitying them the while, and while they wot at their being scourged is no fault of mine, and they accept my excuses. And this is my tale and my history. The Caliph marveled at her adventures, and then signed to Ja'far, who said to the second lady of the fortress, And thou, how camest thou by the welts and wheels upon thy body? So she began the tale of the fortress. Know, O commander of the faithful, that I had a father who, after fulfilling his time, deceased, and left me great store of wealth. I remained single for a short time, and presently married one of the richest of his day. I abode with him a year when he also died, and my share of his property amounted to 80,000 dinars in gold, according to the holy law of inheritance. Thus I became passing rich, and my reputation spread far and wide, for I had made me ten changes of raiment, each worth a thousand dinars. One day, as I was sitting at home, behold, there came into me an old woman, with lantern jaw and cheeks sucked in, and eyes rocked up, and eyebrows scant and scald, and head bare and bald, and teeth broken by time and mold and back bending, and neck nodding, and face blotched, and room running, and hair like a snake, black and white speckled, in complexion a very fright, even as saith the poet of the like of her. Ill-omened hag, and shriven be her sins, nor mercy visit her on dying bed, thousand headstrong as tenuous, Good her guiles, despite their voting led with spider thread. And I say it another. A hag, to whom the unlawful unlawfulest, and witchcraft wisdom in her sight are grown, a mischief-making brat, a demon made, a poorish woman, and a pimping crone. When the old woman entered, she salamed to me, and kissing the ground before me, said, I have at home an orphan daughter, and this night are her wedding and her display. We be poor folks and strangers in this city, knowing none inhabitant, and we are broken-hearted. So do thou earn for thyself a recompense and reward in heaven, by being present in her displaying. And when the ladies of this city shall hear that thou art to make act of presence, they also will present themselves. So shalt thou comfort her affliction, for she is sore bruised in spirit, and she hath none to look to save Allah the Most High. Thy presence bringeth us grace, we own before thy winsome face. And wert thou absent near and one, could stand instead would take thy place. 
So pity get hold on me, and compassion. And I said, Hearing is consenting, and please Allah I will do somewhat more for her. Nor shall she be shown to her bridegroom save in my raiment and ornaments and jewelry. At this the old woman rejoiced, and bowed her head to my feet, and kissed them, saying, Allah requite thee weal, and comfort thy heart, even as thou hast comforted mine. But, O oh, my lady, do not trouble thyself to do me this service at this hour. Be thou ready, my supper time, when I will come back and fetch thee. So saying, she kissed my hand and went her ways. I set about stringing my pearls, and donning my brocades, and making my toilette, little recking what fortune had in room for me, when suddenly the old woman stood before me, simpering and smiling till she showed every tooth stump, and quoth she, Oh, my mistress, the city madams have arrived, and when I apprised them that thou promised to be present, they were glad, and they are now awaiting thee, and looking eager for thy coming and for the honor of meeting me. So I threw on my mantilla, and making the old crone walk before me and my handmaidens behind me, I fared till we came to a street well watered and swept neat, where the winnowing breeze blew cool and sweet. Here we were stopped by a gate arched over with a dome of marble stone, firmly seated on solidest foundation, and leading to a palace whose walls from earth rose tall and proud, and whose pinnacle was crowned by the clouds, and over the doorway were writ these couplets. I am the one where mirth shall ever smile, the home of joyance through my lasting while, and mid my court the fountain jets and flows. Nor tears, nor troubles shall that fount defile. The merge with royal Nu'uman's bloom it died. Myrtle, Narcissus flower, and chamomile. Arrived at the gate, before which hung a black curtain, the old woman knocked, and it was opened to us. When we entered and found the vestibule spread with carpets, and hung around with lamps all alight, and wax candles and candelabra, adorned with pendants of precious gems and noble ores. We passed on through this passage till we entered a saloon, whose like for grandeur and beauty is not to be found in this world. It was hung and carpeted with silken stuffs, and was illuminated with branches, sconces and tapers ranged in double row, an avenue abutting on the upper or noble end of the saloon where stood a couch of juniper wood, encrusted with pearls and gems, and surmounted by a baldachin with mosquito curtains of satin looped up with margaritas. And hardly had we taken note of this when there came forth from the baldachin a young lady, and I looked, O commander of the faithful, upon a face and form more perfect than the moon when fullest, with a favor brighter than the dawn gleaming with saffron-hued light, even as the poet sang when he said, Thou pacest the palace in marvel sight, a bride for a Kisra's or Kaiser's night, wantons the rose on thy roseate cheek, O cheek as the blood of the dragon bright, slim-waisted, languorous, sleepy-eyed, with charms which promised all love, and the tire which attires thy tiarred brow, is a night of woe, on a morn's glad light. The fair young girl came down from the estrade and said to me, 
Welcome and welcome and good cheer to my sister, the dearly beloved, the illustrious, and a thousand greetings. Then she recited these couplets. And but the house could know who cometh would rejoice, and kiss the very dust whereon thy foot was placed. And with the tongue of circumstance the walls would say, Welcome and hail to one with generous gifts engraced. Then sat she down and said to me, O my sister, I have a brother who hath had sight of thee at sundry wedding feasts and festive seasons. He is a youth handsomer than I, and he hath fallen desperately in love with thee, for that beauteous destiny hath granted thee all beauty and perfection, and he hath given silver to this old woman that she might visit thee, and she hath contrived on this wise to gather us twain. He hath heard that thou art one of the nobles of thy tribe, nor is he aught less in his, and being desirous to ally his lot with thy lot, he hath practised this device to bring me in company with thee, for he is fain to marry thee after the ordinance of Allah and his apostle, and in what is lawful and right there is no shame. When I heard these words and saw myself fairly entrapped in the house, I said, Hearing is consenting. She was delighted at this, and clapped her hands, whereupon a door opened, and out of it came a young man, blooming in the prime of life, exquisitely dressed, a model of beauty and loveliness and symmetry and perfect grace, with gentle winning manners, and eyebrows like a bended bow and shaft on cord, and eyes which bewitched all hearts, with sorcery lawful in the sight of the Lord even as saith some rhymer describing the like of him. His face as the face of the young moon shine, and fortune stamps him with perils for signs. And Allah favor him who said, Blessed be his beauty, bless the Lord's decree, who cast and shaped the things so bright of blee. All gifts of beauty he conjoins in one, Lost in his love is all humanity, for beauty self-inscribed on his brow. I testify, there be no good but he. When I looked at him, my heart inclined to him, and I loved him. And he sat by my side, and talked with me a while, when the young lady again clapped her hands, and behold, a side door opened, and out of it came the Kazi, with his four assessors as witnesses. And they saluted us, and sitting down, drew up and wrote out the marriage contract between me and the youth, and retired. Then he turned to me and said, Be our knights blessed. Presently adding, O oh, my lady, I have a condition to lay on thee. Quoth I, O oh, my lord, what is that? Whereupon he arose, and fetching a copy of the holy book, presented it to me, saying, Swear hereon that thou wilt not look at any other man other than myself, nor incline thy body or thy heart to him. I swore readily enough to this, and he joyed with exceeding joy, and embraced me round the neck, while love for him possessed my whole heart. Then they set the table before us, and we ate and drank till we were satisfied. But I was dying for the coming of the night, and when night did come... He led me to the bride chamber, and slept with me on the bed, and continued to kiss and embrace me till the morning.
Such a night I had never seen in my dreams. I lived with him a life of happiness and delight for a full month, at the end of which I asked his leave to go on foot to the bazaar and buy me certain special stocks, and he gave me permission. So I donned my mantilla, and taking with me the old woman and a slave girl, I went to the Khan of the Silk Mercers, where I seated myself in the shop front of a young merchant whom the old woman recommended, saying to me, This youth's father died when he was a boy, and left him great store for wealth. He hath by him a mighty fine stock of goods, and thou wilt find what thou seekest with him, for none in the bazaar hath better stuffs than he. Then she said to him, Show this lady the most costly stuffs thou hast by thee. And he replied, Heart killing in obedient. Then she whispered me, Say a civil word to him. But I replied, I am pledged to address no man save my lord. And as she began to sound his praise, I said sharply to her, We want not of thy sweet speeches. Our wish is to buy of him whatsoever we need and return home. So he brought me all I sought, and I offered him his money, but he refused to take it, saying, Let it be a gift, offered to my guest this day. Then quoth I to the old woman, If he will not take the money, give him back his stuff. By Allah, cried he, Not a thing will I take from thee. I sell it not for gold or for silver, but I give it all as a gift for a single kiss. A kiss more precious to me than anything the shop containeth. Ask the old woman. What will the kiss profit thee? And turning to me whispered, O oh, my daughter, thou hearest what this young fellow saith? What harm will it do thee if he get a kiss from thee, and thou gettest what thou seekest at that price? Replied I, I take refuge with Allah from such action. Knowest thou not that I am bound by an oath? But she answered, Now whist, just let him kiss thee, and neither speak to him nor lean over him. So shalt thou keep shine oath in thy silver, and no harm whatever shall befall thee. And she ceased not to persuade me, and importune me, and make light of the matter, till evil entered into my mind. And I put my head in the poke, and declaring I would ne'er consent, consented. So I veiled my eyes, and held up the edge of my mantilla between me and the people passing, and he put his mouth to my cheek under the veil. But while kissing me, he beat me, so hard a bite that he tore the flesh from my cheek. And blood flowed fast, and faintness came over me. The old woman caught me in her arms, and when I came to myself, I found the shop shut up and her, sorrowing over me and saying, Thank Allah for averting what might have been worse. Then she said to me, Come, take heart and let us go home before the murder becomes public and thou be dishonored. And when thou art safe inside the house, feign sickness and lie down and cover thyself up and I will bring thee powders and plasters to cure this bite withal, and thy wound will be healed at the latest in three days. So after a while I arose, and I was in extreme distress, and terror came full upon me. But I went on, little by little, till I reached the house when I pleaded illness and lay me down. When it was night, my husband came in to me and said, what hath befallen thee, O oh my darling, in this excursion of shine? 
And I replied, I am not well. My head aches badly. Then he lighted a candle and drew near me and looked hard at me and asked, What is that wound I see on thy cheek and in the tenderest part too? And I answered, When I went out today with thy leave to buy stuffs, a camel laden with firewood jostled me, and one of the pieces tore my veil and wounded my cheek as thou seest, for indeed the ways of the city are straight. Tomorrow, cried he, I will go complain to the governor, so shall he gibbet every fuel seller in Baghdad. Allah upon thee, said I, burden not thy soul with such sin against any man. The fact is, I was riding on an ass, and it stumbled throwing me to the ground, and my cheek lighted upon a stick or a bit of glass and got this wound. Then, said he, Tomorrow I will go up to Jafar the Barmaki and tell him the story, so shall he kill every donkey boy in Baghdad. Wouldst thou destroy all these men because of my wound, said I, when this which befell me was by decree of a lie in his destiny? But he answered, There is no help for it. And springing to his feet, lied me with words and pressed me till I was perplexed and frightened. And I stuttered and stammered, and my speech waxed thick. And I said, This is a mere accident, by decree of Allah. Then, O commander of the faithful, he guessed my case, and said, Thou hast been false to thine oath. He at once cried out with a loud cry, whereupon a door opened. In came seven black slaves, whom he commanded to drag me from my bed and throw me down in the middle of the room. Furthermore, he ordered one of them to pinion my elbows and squat upon my head, and the second to sit upon my knees and secure my feet. And drawing his sword, he gave it to a third and said, Strike her, Osad, and cut her in twine, and let each one take half and cast it to the tigers, that the fish may eat her. For such is the distribution due to those who violate their vows and are unfaithful to their love. And he redoubled in wrath and recited these couplets. And there be one who shares with me her love. I'd strangle love though life by love were slain. Saying, O soul, death were a noble choice. For in this love we shared twixt partners twain. Then he repeated to the slave, Smite her, Osad! And when the slave who was sitting upon me made sure of the command, he bent down to me and said, O my mistress, be the case of a profession of faith, and bethink thee, if there could be everything fall the done, for verily this is the last hour of thy life. O good slave, said I, Wait but a little while, and get off my head that I may charge thee with my last injunctions. Then I raised my head, and saw the state I was in, how I had fallen from high degree into lowest disgrace, and into death after life, and such life, and how I had brought my punishment on myself by my own sin. Whereupon the tears streamed from mine eyes, and I wept with exceeding weeping. But he looked on me with eyes of wrath, and began repeating, Tell her who turneth from our love to work it into the sore, and taketh her off by new love, the old love tossing o'er. We cry enough o'er the air, that enough of us shall cry. What passed between us crossed the face, and happily something more. When I heard this, O commander of the faithful, I wept, and looked at him and began repeating these couplets. 
To severance you doom my love, and all unmoved remain. My tear-sore lids you sleepless make, and sleep while I complain. You make firm friendship reign between mine eyes and insomnia. Yet can my heart forget you not, nor tears can I restrain. You make me swear with many an oath my troth to hold for I. But when you reigned my bosom's lord, you wrought me traitor bane. I loved you like a silly child who wots not what is love. Then spare the learner, let her not be by the master slain. By Allah's name, I pray you write, when I am dead and gone, upon my tomb. This died of love, whose senses love had tame. Then haply, one shall pass that way who fire of love hath felt, and treading on a lover's heart with ruth and woe shall melt. When I ended my verses, tears came again, but the poetry and the weeping only added fury to his fury, and he recited, "'Twas not satiety bade me in leaving the dealing of my soul, but that she sent a mortal sin which clips me in its clip. She sought to let another share the love between us twain, but to my true faith of unity refused partnership." When he ceased reciting, I wept again, and prayed his pardon, and humbled myself before him, and spoke him softly, saying to myself, I will work on him with words, so haply he will refrain from slaying me, even though he take all I have. So I complained of my sufferings, and began to repeat these couplets. Now by thy life, and wert thou just my life thou had not tamed, but who can break the severance law, which parted lovers twain? Thou loadest me with heavy weight of longing love, when I can hardly bear my chemisette for weakness and for pain. I marvel not to see my life and soul in ruin lame. I marvel much to see my frame such severance pain sustain. When I ended my verse, I wept again. And he looked at me and reviled me in abusive language, repeating these couplets. Thou wast all taken up with other men, not me. Twas thine to show me Severin's face, twas only mine to see. I'll leave thee for that first. Thou wast of me to take thy leave, and patient bear that parting blow thou borest so patiently. E'en as thou sottest other love, so other love I'll seek, and make the crime of murdering love thine own atrocity. When he had ended his verses, he again cried out to the slave, Cut her in half, and free us from her, for we'd have no profit of her. So the slave drew near me, O commander of the faithful, and I ceased bandying verses and made sure of death, and despairing of life, committed my affairs to Almighty Allah, when behold, the old woman rushed in, and threw herself at my husband's feet, and kissed them, and wept, and said, <laughs> O oh, my son! By the rights of my fosterage and by my long service to thee, I conjure thee pardon this young lady, for indeed she hath done nothing deserving such doom. Thou art a very young man, and I fear lest her death be laid at thy door, for it is said, Whoso slayeth shall be slain. As for this one time, since thou deemest her such, drive her out from thy doors, from thy love, from thy heart. <laughs> and she ceased not to weep and importune him till he relented and said, I pardon her, but needs must I set on her my mark, which shall show upon her all my life. 
Then he bade the slaves drag me along the ground and lay me out at full length after stripping me of all my clothes. And when the slaves had so sat upon me that I could not move, he fetched in a rod of quince tree and came down with it upon my body and continued beating me on the back and sides till I lost consciousness from excess of pain. I despaired of life. Then he commanded the slaves to take me away as soon as it was dark, together with the old woman to show them the way, and throw me upon the floor of the house wherein I dwelt before my marriage. They did their lord's bidding, and cast me down in my old home, and went their ways. I did not revive from my swoon till dawn appeared, when I applied myself to the dressing of my wounds with ointments and other medicaments, and I medicined myself, but my sides and ribs still showed signs of the rod, as thou hast seen. I lay in weakly case and confined to my bed for four months before I was able to rise and health returned to me. At the end of that time I went to the house where all this had happened and found it a ruin. The street had been pulled down and long, and rubbish heaps rose where the building erst was, nor could I learn how this had come about. Then I betook myself to this my sister on my father's side, and found her with these two black bitches. I saluted her, and told her what had betided me, and the whole of my story. And she said, O oh, my sister, who is safe from the despite of time and secure, Thanks be to Allah, who has brought thee off safely. And she began to say, Such is the world, so bear a patient heart, when riches leave thee, and when friends depart. Then she told me her own story, and what had happened to her with her two sisters, and how matters had ended. So we abode together, and the subject of marriage was never on our tongues for all these years. After a while, we were joined by our other sister, the procuratrix, who goeth out every morning and buyeth all we require for the day and night, and we continued in such condition till this last night. In the morning our sister went out, as usual, to make her market, and then befell us what befell from bringing the porter into the house and admitting these three calendar men. We entreated them kindly and honorably, and a quarter of the night had not passed, ere three grave and respectable merchants from Mosul joined us and told us their adventures. We sat talking with them, but on one condition, which they violated, whereupon we treated them as sorted with their breach of promise and made them repeat the account they had given of themselves. They did our bidding, and we forgave their offense. So they departed from us, and this morning we were unexpectedly summoned to thy presence, and such is our story. The Caliph wondered at her words, and bade the tale be recorded and chronicled and laid up in his monument chambers. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the nineteenth night, she continued, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the Caliph commanded this story, and those of the sister and the colandars to be recorded in the archives and to be set in the royal monument chambers. Then he asked the eldest lady, the mistress of the house, Knowest thou whereabouts of Ifrita, who spelled thy sister? O commander of the faithful, she gave me a ringlet of her hair, saying, When thou would it seem, burn a couple of these hairs, and I will be with thee forthright, even though I were beyond Caucasus now. Bring me hither the hair, quoth the caliph, 
so she brought it and he threw the whole lock upon the fire. As soon as the odor of the burning head spread itself, the palace shook and trembled, and all present heard a rumbling and a rolling of thunder, and a noise as of wings. And lo, the genia, who had been a serpent, stood in the caliph's presence. Now she was a Muslim, so she saluted him and said, Peace be with thee, O vicar of Allah. Whereto he replied, And with thee also be peace and mercy of Allah and his blessing. Then she continued, Know that this damsel sowed for me the seed of kindness, wherefore I cannot now requite her. In that she delivered me from death and destroyed my enemy. Now I had seen how her sisters dealt with her and felt myself bound to avenge her on them. At first I was minded to slay them, but I feared it would be grievous to her. So I transform them to bitches. But if thou desire their release, O commander of the faithful, I will release them to pleasure thee and her, for I am of the Muslims. Quoth the Caliph, Release them, and after we will look into the affair of the beaten lady and consider her case carefully. And if the truth of her story be evidenced, I will exact retaliation from him who wronged her. Said the Ifrita. O Commander of the Faithful, I will forthwith release them, and will discover to thee the man who did that deed by this lady, and wronged her and took her property, and he is the nearest of all men to thee. So saying, she took a cup of water, and muttered a spell over it, and uttered words. There were no understanding. Then she sprinkled some of the water over the faces of the two bitches, saying, Return to your former human shape. Whereupon they were restored to their natural forms and fell to praising their creator. Then said the Ifrita, O commander of the faithful, of a truth, he who scourged this lady with rods is thy son Alamun, brother of Alamun, for he had heard of her beauty and loveliness. And he played a lover's strategy with her, and married her according to the law, and committed the crime such as it is of scourging her. Yet indeed he is not to be blamed for meeting her, for he laid a condition on her, and swore her by a solemn oath not to do a certain thing. However, she was false to our vow, and he was minded to put her to death. But he feared mighty Allah, and contented himself with scourging her, as thou hast seen, and with sending her back to her own place. Such is the story of the second lady, and the Lord knoweth all. When the Caliph heard these words of the Afrita, and knew who had beaten the damsel, he marveled with mighty marvel, and said, Praise be to Allah, the Most High! The Almighty, who hath shown exceedingly mercy towards me, enabling me to deliver these two damsels from sorcery and torture, and thus sheathing to let me know the secrets of this lady's history. And now, by Allah, we will do a deed which shall be recorded of us after we are no more. Then he summoned his son, Alamin, and questioned him of the story of the second lady, the portress, and he told it in the face of truth. Whereupon the Caliph bade call into presence the Kazis and their witnesses, 
and three calendars and the first lady with her sisters, Germain, who had been ensorcelled. He married the three to the three calendars, whom he knew to be princes and son of kings, and he appointed them chamberlains about his person, assigning to them stipends and allowances and all that they required, and lodging them in his palace at Baghdad. He returned the beaten lady to his son Alamin, renewing the marriage contract between them, and gave her great wealth and bade rebuild a house fairer than it was before. As for himself, he took to wife the procuratrix and lay with her that night and next day. He set apart for her an apartment in his seraglio, with handmaidens for her service, and a fixed daily allowance, and the people marveled at the caliph's generosity and natural beneficence and princely wisdom. Nor did he forget to send all these histories to be recorded in his annals. When Shahrazad ceased speaking, Danyazad exclaimed, My own sister! By Allah, in very sooth this is a right pleasant tale, a delectable, never was heard the like of it. But prithee, tell me now another story to while away what yet remaineth of the waking hours of this our night. She replied, With love and gladness, if the king give me leave. And he said, Tell thy tale and tell it quickly. So she began in these words, The Tale of the Three Apples. One Thousand and One Arabian Nights audio drama from Sir Richard Burton's timeless classic Arabian Nights Entertainment, The Porter and the Three Ladies of Baghdad Part Five, The Eldest Lady's Tale, and The Portress's Tale features Natalie von Sistine, Eldest Lady, Karen Kaler, Portress, Cassandra Vladislava, Procuratrix, Avery Smithart, Eldest Sister, Michelle Morgan, Younger Sister, Jake Rees, Townsperson, Sailor, Town Crier, Miguel Moran, Captain, Faisal Yakub, Bride Queen, Kamran Nikad, Majian King, Timlin Tran, Serpent Jania, Danielle McRae, Crone and Old Woman, Karen Heyman, Sister of Husband, Lee Turner, Husband, TJ from Newgrounds, African Slave, Dustin Dar, Jafar, Anthony Abomali, Khalif, S. Davis, Poet, Marguerite, Sherzad, Michael Valenzuela, King Shahyar, Sound Effects and Sitar Arrangement from Freesound.org, Music Featuring, Endura, The Bull and the East Wind Blowing, License from Redstream Records at Redstream.org, Black Seas of Infinity, As the Pythoness Strokes the Lovely Sword, Licensed by John Longshaw, Lapis Niger, Black Serpent Dance, and At the Throne of Malik Taos, by permission of artists. Sparse Egyptian Wasteland, Zimbabwe Drummer's Circle, Tribal Drummer's Paradise, licensed by FootageFirm.com, Angelic Voices, Gloomy Wind, Hovering Dream, Meditational Scapes, Deserted Space, Flying Circus, Reverse Universe, by Simon Stockhausen at Patchpool.de. Opening an indie credits theme, Enter In, Steve Irwin, and Arabian Adventures by Music Bakery, licensed by Audiosparks.com, Desert Gems Audio, mixed and produced by S. Davis, copyright 2013, all rights reserved.